Is it just me? Or did anyone else feel some discomfort in any of those lectionary passages this morning? There was Psalm 52's judgment on the deceitful. Amos's condemning passage, the prophecy against those who give little and take much. Then there's the weighty responsibility that Paul lays out for us in Colossians. And then the awkwardness of Martha complaining to Jesus about her sister in Luke 10. Sometimes it's easier to avoid passages like these. I mean, we've got our own junk to deal with, right? We don't need extra stuff top, topping it all off. And if there's some sort of churning inside of us, that's certainly not the Holy Spirit, right? That's probably indigestion. <laughs> and the whole point of coming to church is so that we leave feeling happy, right? Well, maybe not. United Methodist Bishop William Willimon puts it this way. One way you can tell the difference between a true and living God and a dead and fake God is that a false God will never tell you anything that makes you angry or uncomfortable. Okay, so if we believe in this power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that it's the same power that's living and active in us today, in this place, and in our everyday lives, and if we believe in the living and active word of God, if we believe we want to live like Jesus, if we want to live lives that produce the fruit of the Spirit, then let's put on our big girl pants, our big boy pants, and enter into the discomfort today. It's a little uncomfortable. So first, let's look at this prophecy from Amos, because it hurts. I'd like to run the message translation. My master God showed me this vision, a bowl of fresh fruit. He said, what do you see, Amos? I said, a bowl of fresh, ripe fruit. God said, right. So, I'm calling it quits with my people Israel. I'm no longer acting like everything is fine. The royal singers will wail when it happens. My master God said so. Corpses will be strewn here, there, and everywhere. Hush. Listen to this. You who walk all over the week, you who treat the poor people as less than nothing, who say, when's my next paycheck coming so I can go out and live it up? How long till next weekend when I can go out and have a good time? You who give little and take much and never do an honest day's work, you exploit the poor. You use them. And then when they're used up, you discard them. God swears against the arrogance of Jacob. I'm keeping track of their every last sin, God says. God's oath will shake earth's foundation, dissolve the whole world into tears. God's oath will sweep in like a river that rises, flooding houses and lands, and then recedes, leaving behind a sea of mud. On judgment day, watch out. These are the words of God, my master. God says, I'll turn off the sun at noon. In the middle of the day, the, the earth will go black. 
I'll turn your parties into funerals. I'll make every song you sing a dirge. Everyone will walk around in rags with sunken eyes and bald heads. Think of the worst thing that could happen. Your only son, say, murdered. That's a hint of Judgment Day. That and much more. Oh yes, Judgment Day is coming. These are the words of my master God. I'll send a famine through the whole country. It won't be food or water that's lacking, though, but my word. People will drift from one end of the country to the other, roam to the north, wander to the east. They'll go anywhere, listen to anyone, hoping to hear God's word, but they won't hear it. I don't know about you, but that stings a bit for me. But what if there's an invitation in the midst of that discomfort? What if the Spirit of God, through the prophet Amos, is inviting you, inviting me to live differently? To leave this place changed? You've probably heard talk about the moral decay of America. Typically, when Christians are referencing this moral decay, the attention is focused on family values, gender identity, sexual behavior, but Amos' prophecy doesn't deal with any of those issues of morality. Instead, we are warned about the impending judgment against anyone who abuses economics, anyone who mistreats the poor, Anyone who feels downright comfortable with their place on the totem pole, regardless of how their, their decisions affect those who are beneath us. Bishop Williman summarizes Amos single, as Amos singling out the merchants who cannot wait for the religious holiday to be over so they can get back to fleecing the poor with their high prices for grain. Okay, so if you call yourself a Christian... That means you're choosing to live your life in alignment with the kingdom of God. And if we choose to live our lives in alignment with God's kingdom instead of the ways of our world, it is up to each one of us to help Jesus build his kingdom here, like we just sang. To call yourself a Christian is to commit to speak up to not stay silent when we see someone exploiting their power. When we see someone creating systems that exalt the rich and trample the poor. It is up to us to change how we are living, how we are spending our money, how we are using our authority to be partners with Jesus to build his kingdom. Okay, but I'm not a business owner, I'm not a policy maker, I'm not a leader. Yeah, if you're thinking you don't have authority over someone, even if you're really young, you do have some authority. Because whether you're you know, a store manager or a board member or you own property or you're a teacher or a pastor, maybe your authority looks different. Maybe it's because you're older than them. Maybe because you have more money than them. Or you're ranked in a high, higher in your school class than they are. Or you have a better job than them. Or more money in your retirement account than them. Yeah, we all have some sort of authority. 
And we all have the choice to use it for our own gain or to use it to serve and to love and to advocate for them. So ask yourself, over whom have I exerted my authority in order to get what I want? When have I used my position of power to shame someone? Because if we're honest, yeah, we do this all the time. We exert our power with our kids and with our spouses. Yeah. We use our authority as a parent or a grandparent, as an older sibling, as a company manager, to get away with treating people without an ounce of love or patience or generosity. We shame our kids for the too big emotions. We shame our spouses for not getting off the couch and doing something. We shame the person who's using food stamps, maybe not with our words, but with our ridiculously judgmental glances and our internal monologues about what they're buying with those food stamps. We shame the person who sleeps in on Sunday, the one who feels uncertain about taking communion, the one who's too afraid to pray out loud. None of that is okay. Shame and power-wielding is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is different. It's upside down. The way of Jesus is servanthood, not authority. The way of Jesus is love, not shame. The way of Jesus is welcome, not condemnation. So hold on for a second as we jump to that Psalm 52. A psalm that's actually a really long rant as David is venting his anger against this tattletale of a shepherd who worked for King Saul. This guy's name is Doeg, but I'm going to call him Doug because I want to. So Doug, the shepherd, was bad news. Doug was using his position of authority in the kingdom of Saul to gain even more power. David was justifiably angry at this man because this man had murdered 85 priests and women and children and animals, according to 1 Samuel 22. And on top of that, Shepherd Doug tells the vengeful King Saul with David to put an end to him. Yeah, I'd be pretty angry too. (laughs) But the beautiful part of this psalm is that David is being honest about his anger before God. And God welcomes us to do the same to bring our whole selves to him. And in so doing, our attitudes begin to change, to be realigned with the ways of God. By the end of the psalm, in verses 8 and 9, David's singing has turned from angry yelling and outbursts and, and condemnation to something totally different. He says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because of what you have done in the presence of the faithful. I will proclaim your name, for it is good. Okay, but what does this olive tree thing have to do with Amos' prophecy? And what does any of that have to do with us? 
Stick with me for just a minute. Lisa Lamb, she's a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, which is out in California. She notes that the psalmist frequently uses references to a tree for our lives. A tree that sinks down deep roots as it waits in the sunlight and water for the creator and sustainer of life. And in that, it provides fruit that renews and enriches the lives of others. Okay, so Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So you've decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you call yourself a Christian. Ask yourself, what fruit am I producing? Is my life producing the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, I know we're all over Scripture today. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Am I bringing love and joy into the world? Is my life characterized by peace and patience? Am I living out the kindness of Jesus? Do others experience my generosity? Am I faithful to say to do what I say I'm going to do? Am I gentle, not needing to force my own way and exert my authority? Do I spend my time and energy with self-control and restraint? That's a lot, I know. But those are the markers of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Those are the qualities of a true follower of Jesus. So when our life is producing the fruit of the Spirit, we are living like Jesus. We are building his kingdom here on earth by bringing his healing and wholeness into the world in the form of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. So get this, when our life is strong, rooted our deep roots in the love of Jesus, trusting God for all things. The fruit we produce isn't just for our own benefit. Oh, look how loving she is. Look how patient she is. No, the fruit of our lives actually nourishes the world. It's like Paul said in, first, in Colossians 1.28 that Kevin read this morning. It is Christ whom we proclaim so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We are responsible for one another. We are responsible to care for one another. Our fruit isn't for our own benefit. It is for the benefit of the whole world. So here's how all of this connects to that prophecy from Amos. Our life's fruit is intended to bring nourishment to the poor, the hungry, the ones whose lifestyles we disagree with, the ones who make the wrong choices, the ones who are beneath us in the totem pole of life. The fruit of a life of a person who follows Jesus is not really about your eternal security and where you're going when you're going to die. The fruit of a life following Jesus is about how we treat other people. 
So maybe you've got a good retirement and a good education. Maybe you own your own home. You pay your taxes on time. You vote on election day. Maybe you're in the racial minority, or majority, it looks like all of us are here. The truth is, all of those things make us the ones in power. Any of those things gives us power in our world. And Amos gives us a stern warning. Because there will come a time, if we don't heed his warning to care for the poor, when the voice of the Lord will not be found, when there will be darkness and an outcry of pain, because we're desperate to hear from the Lord, and yet God's voice is not to be found. So my friends, what I have, what I want you to hear today is that our power, what we do with our power is what matters. Our lives are meaningless unless they bear fruit that lasts. So what fruit are you producing? How are you nourishing the needy with the fruit of the Spirit? Because that's what Jesus did with his power. Jesus allowed himself to be broken. Jesus washed the feet. Jesus let himself be touched by lepers women with bleeding disorders, children, people the rest of the world said, no, 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 you don't touch those people. Jesus is God himself incarnate. He had all the power, and yet he used it to serve. He used it to love. He used it to heal the whole world. Let's begin again today by responding to the love of Jesus at his holy table.